So thank you for coming. Ten hours of work, I believe, I believe we'll let you out of here about 11. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm not going to do that to you. But uh, I appreciate Pastor giving me uh, the opportunity to get right into it. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. If I can get this thing to stop sliding on, the, on my pulpit here. Anywho, um, uh, I don't know. It's kind of like some Christians are sliding the wrong direction. Ooh. Yeah, there you go. I think that might have did it. That might have done it. Oh, well, God bless you. I'll take one of those just in case. Thank you. Yeah, put it right under in there, and thank you. I love her accent. Isn't she sweet? Isn't she sweet? Where are you from, Germany? Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Folsom Prison. <laughs> All righty. Let's get started. Hey, can we get these lights out above me? Oh, that worked. And that's so cool. You guys uh, have me some uh, little um, side ones as well. All right. Let's get into this um, because what we're going to do tonight is do something a little unusual on prophecy. I'm going to uh, bring you all a little bit of an update. Now, if this is your first time that you've been with us, <coughs> it, it's not like you're going to lose any info, but... We're, we're here usually a couple times a year, and when we do, we generally take um, at least a couple nights to talk about prophecy. This time around, we're, we're going to give you an, an update, and some of the stuff that we're going to talk about is uh, <coughs> things that have happened since we were here last. I remember when I first started on the road back in 1978, my darling wife and I stepped out by faith to travel as full-time evangelists. And back then, uh, you could go to a Bible bookstore and pick up a book on prophecy, and that book would be current for five years. Now, if you pick up a book on prophecy, it may be current for five weeks. It's already outdated by the time it starts to get on the, on the shelves. This is how quickly things are passing. So there's no way that we can justify um, uh, the ability to say that we're going to clear this, this topic tonight. It won't happen. We're, all we're going to do tonight is scrape the surface, but we're going to be as current as what has happened today. And hopefully we can give you some things to think about. As I start off here, I want to read to you something that the, the author of the book of Revelation wrote. John, who wrote the Gospel of John and then those little epistles right before the book of Jude, says that we know that we are of God, but then he says, and that the whole world lieth in wickedness. And what's interesting about that is what we're going to talk about tonight in this conflict of this world that is lying in wickedness. And what is going on all around us, ladies and gentlemen, is something that has a dimension to it that sometimes we forget. When we look at what's happening to us, sometimes all we see is 
flesh and blood. But that's why Paul wrote that we're not just wrestling against flesh and blood. But we are wrestling, and then notice the words that I've underlined here, principalities and powers and rulers, and then it says spiritual wickedness or wicked spirits. The ideal here is that there is a dimension of darkness that is in just as real as our little three-dimensional world that we're so accustomed to. There is a, a dimension way past that that's just as real as ours and it has authority systems in it and if you would take a word study and look at those words about principalities I think most of you know what a principle is um, and powers and rulers and and those type of things we're talking about things that go beyond just human physical realm and when I show you this tonight you understand what I'm talking about now I'll just say that this year would, would have to be the most, the, I would say, the hardest year to keep up with the topic of prophecy I've ever experienced. And I think I'm pretty good at keeping up with it. I, this thing is spinning my head. It's going so quickly. It, it's what I like to call information overload. And when you look at just some of the things, and we're going to just talk about a couple of these things that have, have happened so far this year. Uh, many of you remember at the beginning of the year when um, back along uh, uh, probably the third month of the year, we started hearing a lot about this little area called Ukraine. And it made national news week after week, just like some of the other things are right now. But what I found interesting is that the word Ukraine, the literal name means on the edge. And when you consider the fact that this little tiny region has a very strategic spot that Russia is very interested in for a very interesting purpose. Now, this has been the case because what happened in Ukraine is very, very important. We have not, by the way, we have not seen the end of that, that issue yet. You can guarantee there's going to be a whole lot more developed out, out of it. But the thing that is really interesting is that when this first started to happen, here was on March the 1st of this year, the intern president had made this statement, we consider the behavior of the Russian Federation to be a direct aggression against the sovereignty of Ukraine. Now, obviously, folks, that's, that didn't change anything. Matter of fact, even the fact that they declared that to Putin it meant nothing. It doesn't, he, do, he doesn't care. I mean, here's a guy that is not afraid to do what he's going to do. And, it, and to be honest with you, he's not intimidated by America. Matter of fact, if you remember, our president issued a grave warning to Putin. He says, the United States will stand with the international community in affirming that there will be costs for any military intervention in Ukraine. How many noticed it didn't happen? And if you, if, you, if you were paying attention, the reason why it didn't happen is right before that announcement was made, our president made it very clear that he was purposely downsizing the military, which, of course, was good news to any enemy of the United States of America. By the way, it wasn't too long after that 
that this made news when um, um, they shot down a, a, a passenger plane. And, you know, it, to show you how fast things have happened, I mean, remember how that just made news all the time? It was every single hour and on the bottom and top of the hour, and yet now it's so much have happened then, it's pretty much forgotten about. Now, I'm sure those uh, people that had some 300 friends and loved ones die haven't forgot it. I mean, it's just a handful of months ago. And yet what we can learn from this, folks, is that there's an amazing dilemma today that you can be so wicked and still be loved by so many. I mean, uh, here it is. He was just nominated for the 2014 Peace Prize. Now, with that in mind, keep in mind this whole concept of peace and where it's going to go. And let me just say that we haven't heard, you can guarantee we haven't heard the last of Russia. Now, I know there's a lot of controversy right now brewing between whether or not Russia is even in prophecy. We're not going to even go there tonight. That was a different thing we've dealt with in the past. But let me tell you, this bear of the north that they're given uh, a title to, according to the scripture, there's going to be a hook in his jaw, and he's going to be pulled down Russia into a conflict. Now, why this is so interesting is while all this was going on, China and Russia met together to reinforce their collaborations against the enemies uh, considered America in Israel. Matter of fact, they even announced that they feel that we are on highest alert and China warns of what's called a total global war and Putin says that he told his top generals we need to prepare for Armageddon. Now, I find that interesting. The Russian leader refers to Armageddon, which is quite interesting. Now, with that all said, if you take the time to read Ezekiel 38 and 39, you'll find some interesting references to a uniting of nations. And many of this, this is old stuff for some of you, but there is going to be an alignment of nations that will eventually head the direction of Israel to wipe Israel off the earth. And according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, that whole thing backfires because God intervenes. And that's a whole other sermon in and of itself. But why I think this is interesting, and, and here's where I wanted to bring your attention to something before we really get into the meat of what we're going to share tonight, is that this kind of opens up a real concept of spiritual warfare. There's a lot of flaky stuff associated with spiritual warfare. Most of it is simply because it's not biblically based. And if you want to talk about spiritual warfare, don't listen to people's experiences. Read the Word of God and find where those limitations are. And you'll find that there are wicked spirits in certain regions of the world. We see this encountered in and what is today modern Iran, where the prince of Persia rules over that area where Daniel encounters this when he's praying and fasting. But why I think this is interesting is what was going on in Ukraine happened almost immediately after a spirit-filled Baptist pastor took over as interim president of that nation. 
Now, I find this quite interesting because this man, he's known uh, throughout the, the nation as a, a man who is, uh, stands for righteousness. And the fact that he represents, believe it or not, only 1% of the Ukraine population is Protestant. This brother, who's a great man of God, a great Bible teacher, he, he's spirit-filled, came into this realm, into this, this position, and immediately hell raised up a fit. Now, I find this quite interesting because this is going to show up all night tonight when we get into this. Now, everything I've just talked about is just kind of getting your, your mind with me as we're trying to share some stuff. But here's something I want you to listen to for a second. What happens in the physical realm is a reflection of what is happening in the spirit realm. Now, if that doesn't make sense to you right now, hopefully by the end of this message it will. Now, while this was all happening, this would be in March, right about that exact same time, there was a movie that came out, if you remember. And of all things, it was a movie about Noah. You would think, wow, what an amazing thing to bring up because it's talked about so much in the scripture as associated with the last days. But, sad to say, as Hollywood has proven itself, they were not so happy to stay with the word of God. And how they ended up portraying him, that he was a deranged killer bent on stopping his family from having babies. And, of course, he was... Um, um, portrayed in a very unbiblical way, not to mention all the other stuff that was going on. But you and I should have known we were in trouble when Noah started, uh, you know, tripping out on hallucinogenic tea that was given to him by Methuselah. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that's not going to happen. Matter of fact, I, I like to put it this way. I guess it gives a new meaning to meth, for <laughs> Methuselah, you know. <clears throat> but, you know, Hopkins obviously played uh, 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 out the role that this guy is almost a witch doctor. And folks, from that point, it just went straight down. But re anyway, the reason why I'm sharing that, though, is because, oddly enough, one of the great witnesses that Jesus left for us that it would be an indicator of the last days would be about the condition the world was in during the time of Noah. And if you read in Genesis chapter 6, two times in that passage, it talks about the condition of violence. It says that the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And then again we read in Luke where Jesus made it clear, just as it was in the days of Noah, that's how it's going to be in the coming of the Son of Man. Now, that's interesting because, you know what, most everybody here tonight has heard the name Hamas. What you may not be aware of is that that is a biblical word. It is actually the word violence. If you look up the word violence, right there, the passage we just read from in Genesis 6, if you go to Ezekiel um, chapter 28, where it talks about the fall of Lucifer, it says um, that he was filled with violence and sin. The word, the Hebrew word, is Hamas. 
Now, I find this quite interesting because when the scripture says, Jesus said it would be just as it was in the days of Noah, we know that the earth then, and if you've got your Hebrew Bible, if you've got a Strong's Concordance, you can read it, the earth was filled with Hamas. Now, their slogan, incidentally, their motto is, we love death as much as the Jews love life. And this is showing up very clearly. Matter of fact, I just... Uh, got a copy today of um, a, a, a T-shirt that you can purchase. A lot of young people that are trying to defend uh, the Palestinians and Hamas, a lot of college-age students, for example, are now buying these with the word Hamas. And notice it's in Arabic and it's dripping blood because they are not trying to hide anything. Matter of fact, in their, their covenant article number seven, it says the day of judgment will not come until Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews. That's in their covenant. Now, if you have been paying attention, you've noticed who keeps breaking the ceasefires. I think this is the 11th one now that they have broken. And basically, we're learning a lesson from this. All they're doing from their ceasefire is, is reloading. Okay? And, um, you know, and, you know, evidence after evidence of them shooting from regions where they, their, their mode of operation is to use children and, you know, women or civilians as their shield. That's why they'll shoot from every possible angle to cause uh, the damage when Israel fires back. Now, let me just tell you something. They openly said this uh, Last month, we aren't leading our people today to destruction. We are leading them to death. They openly admitted because to them, they love death as much as the Jews love life. Now, um, in one of the speeches to the Palestinians, one of their major leaders put it this way. Palestine, from the river to the sea, belongs to us and nobody else. Before Israel dies, it must be humiliated and degraded. That's the pushing theme. And I wish we had more time to go, go on that. But I just wanted to touch on that for just a little moment. But I think something's very interesting here. When you read in Revelation chapter 6, and it talks about the first of the four, or first of the seven seals that are broken, and the first four are colored horses. And each one of those colors just so happens to show up in the Palestinian flag. This is their colors. The right, the rider on the right horse, followed by the red horse, followed by the black horse, followed by the pale green horse. And these unleash during the Great Tribulation. And I find it more than just coincidence that that is the case. And believe me again, you're going to hear a whole lot more from the Palestinians. Now, the question has to be asked, and this is getting more and more uh, devices in, in much of our churches, who do you support? Well, the fact of the matter is that if you don't support Israel, which is the only democratic uh, nation in that region at all, it's the only one in the Middle East, then you have your other choice. You have the jihadist, you have al-Qaeda, you have Hezbollah, you have Hamas, and then you have the new one that's just recently got a name called ISIS. Now, you've got to think about this for a second. 
during this conflict between Hamas and Israel, there's about 1,500 Muslims who have died, and it's made all kinds of complaints everywhere you turn. While at the exact same time, 170,000 Muslims have been killed by fellow Muslims and nothing said about it. And this has been just since June, folks. Now, here's the amazing thing about this. This whole concept of ISIS, and m many of you understand it, it's the, the acronym for Islamic State, and this is important how it's made, uh, Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. The ideal, of course, is that they are setting up a one-world government, and they have started here. And this is a very important place to start, and I'll show you why in just a moment, to move toward what's called a caliphate, which is basically to bring the entire world under the, the banner of Allah. Now, the evolution of all this is pretty mind-boggling when you think about it. When you consider, first of all, that they have been able, in a relatively short amount of time, to thrive. I mean, I'm just talking since the first part of the summer and until right now, they are literally at a place that is incredible. What we've seen happen just in the last handful of months is mind-boggling as they have literally gone across Syria and across Iraq and have been able to leave in their trail almost 200,000 dead bodies. Now, this is pretty incredible, folks, in modern-day time. Now, obviously, what they're trying to do is to bring about this caliphate starting in Iraq and Syria, which is so important, and you, this is why you have to keep an eye on it during these next upcoming days, weeks, and months to see where this is going to go because I am convinced in my heart that this is an important thread that's going to piece together what the Bible says is going to happen in that region in the last days. Now watch this. Oh, wait, we didn't get a sound. Can we get some sound on this? Let me go back to it. Let's try it now. Brutal, well-organized, and well-financed. The Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, also known as ISIS, is rapidly morphed into the world's most dangerous jihadist organization. Its methods so extreme, Al-Qaeda itself has disavowed any relationship with it. The group seized on the power vacuum left by the U.S. withdrawal in Iraq, the continuing Syrian civil war, and the hostility between different Muslim groups to grow in influence and bolster its ranks, becoming a magnet for battle-hardened jihadists from around the world. Its goal is synonymous with its name, to set up an Islamic caliphate in the Middle East. And with its recent advances in northern Iraq, goal appears to be closer. ISIS now controls crucial swaths of territory stretching from the Syrian city of Aleppo all the way to the outskirts of Baghdad, and it threatens to advance from the capital itself. Formed by Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, ISIS was originally known as the Islamic State of Iraq, al-Qaeda's affiliate there. It was tasked with creating a sectarian civil war to destabilize the country during the U.S.-led occupation. But its current leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, has a larger vision for the group. Al-Baghdadi assumed control of ISIS in 2010 at the age of 39, a religious scholar who claims to be a direct descendant of the Prophet Muhammad. His shrewd leadership and ruthless tactics have inspired thousands, and many call him the new Osama bin Laden. 
As ISIS has grown, it's assumed the responsibility not just of a terrorist group, but of a government power, often providing food and services to the residents in the areas it controls. <laughs> ISIS rules through fear, imposing Sharia law and holding public floggings and executions to keep people in check. And with each city it conquers, it seems its power and influence grows. Now, I want you to think about this because while we're knowing what's going on in the physical realm, as I tried to say earlier, there's something behind this, folks. There is a spirit behind this. This is just not humans responding to other humans. There is a mastermind, a, a wicked power that is showing itself through the physical realm. And this is going, for some of you, this may be the first time you've heard anything in this particular realm. So just stay with me for a, a, a moment because this is worth your consideration. I hope that you will see that I'm just not reaching out for something bizarre. That literally what I'm talking about is an explanation that should be reasonable to anybody who believes that there's more to this world than just the physical realm. Um, the other day, I was doing some study. This was probably about three nights ago as I was putting this message together about the whole concept of ISIS. ISIS, which many of you uh, will know, this is the, the, the name that we're talking about here, is associated uh, with this acronym for this, this, this movement. But what's bizarre is that this name is ancient. ISIS is an absolutely ancient demon god. And it shows up at a very important time in Scripture. Now, one of the things that is associated with Isis is that Isis, as a goddess, was able to perform miracles and was very um, magical. Now, with that in mind, I want to share some stuff with you in just a moment that I think is interesting, but... It all started in Assyria, in Babylon, and it made its way, and I'll show you this in just a second, through Egypt. And this particular goddess is, is widely known by many names. And I'll, I'll show you again, just stick with me for a second, uh, from its evolutions. Now, for example, many of you uh, would probably recognize the name Easter, that is based on the Babylonian goddess es of, of Ishtar. Ishtar was believed to have fallen from heaven into the river Euphrates. That's going to be very important. In the form of a large egg. And Ishtar, was uh, the egg was rolled up on shore by fish. And doves came and landed on it and hatched out the goddess of fertility. The goddess... Um, that is called Ishtar. And the derivative of this is where we get the practice of Easter. Easter is based on uh, the egg, the color in the egg, and obviously the, the symbol that pretty much everybody understands why Hugh Hefner used a, a bunny rabbit to, to symbolize his sex magazine is because it's a, it's a fertility symbol. Matter of fact, it was used for thousands of years before Jesus was ever resurrected. This was a, a pagan 
practice that they would use on the first Sunday after the new moon. Everything was about worship of the moon and the sun. And so they would do this and they would color their eggs and, and talk about this fertility goddess and all the rest. It's a tragedy that this ends up creeping into uh, a lot of believers' lives even to this very day. <coughs> but Jeremiah talked about her in the Old Testament book that he wrote and, and called her several different times the queen of heaven. Now this is a part of a mystery religion, believe it or not, that's going to show up in the last days. Now what we're seeing right now and witnessing is a resurrection of this goddess influence and of all places in this particular region. This is crazy. Now I'll tell you why this is so important. When you read Paul's account in 1 Corinthians 10, he talks about that Christians should get out of pagan idolatry and pagan practices and that they should not be associated with them because in reality all these idols gods are in in actuality demons and and such is the case <coughs> with this particular goddess of Isis now why this is so interesting is that behind all this folks there is an influence according to the book of Revelation that will show itself during the latter part of the Great Tribulation that will be associated with the region of the Euphrates River. Now, everyone pay, pay attention to this, and I'm reading here from Revelation chapter 16. <clears throat> and I want you to notice, this is, this is crazy. This is crazy, folks. It says, the sixth angel poured out his vial. By this time, here we are in Revelation 16, by this time there has been seven Sealed judgments have come. That's been followed by seven trumpet judgments. And now it's to the sixth of the seven vials or bowl judgments. And these are back-to-back -back horrendous plagues and judgment that hit the planet Earth. This one is very interesting because it says, The sixth angel poured out his vial upon, and notice where it says here. What does it say? What's the next four words? No coincidence. And the water thereof was dried up that the way of the, now this is important, the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now when it says the kings of the east, it's not talking about east of Diamond Springs. Okay? Okay? It's talking about a particular location. It's not even talking about California. Okay? It's talking about a particular region right here along the Euphrates River that the way of the kings of the east, all you have to do is look at what's east of that region. You've got Iran and you've got China. And the ways of the kings of the east might be prepared. Prepared for what, John? Well, watch what it says. I saw, now this is important, I saw three, watch this, unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. By the way, we learned in chapter 12 of Revelation <coughs> that that dragon is Satan. It, it flat out says that this fiery red dragon is Lucifer, Satan, the devil. And then we find out in chapter 13 that there's two men who work in conjunction with Satan, and that is the Antichrist and the false prophet. Out of these three come these demon spirits. It says, for they are spirits 
of devils. Now let's stop here for a second. Do you remember me reading earlier in Ephesians where it talks about principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in heavenly place? That's wicked spirits. That's what's talked about here. And it says, <coughs> what's the, what's, what happens? For they are spirits or demons, spirits of devils. What's the next two words? Now, do you remember what Isis was known for? What was her characteristic, her miracles? Working miracles which go forth unto, now watch this, the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Now, what's happening here is going to be a world appeal to the leaders of the world to watch now, to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. What Putin was talking about, the Battle of Armageddon? Ladies and gentlemen, there's a leader, for example, talking with a leader of China, one of the kings of the East, and literally what they're talking about is, in fact, I mean, literally happening in this passage. But now, the part I want you to notice, notice the map there, the red area is where ISIS is under control. Now, according to the scriptures, What's going to happen here is going to go past natural. It's going to get into the supernatural realm. This is not just flesh and blood fighting, folks. This is just not tanks and artillery and, and, and you know, all that physical realm. This is something that involves spirits. <clears throat> now, of course, some people think we're nuts for saying stuff like that. But I want you to understand the picture that you're seeing right here is a very strong demonic uh, stronghold. This region of the world has historically been very important when it comes to this realm of the supernatural. Now, what I want you to do is you look at this. <coughs> here is a, a large region of Iraq, and here is it kind of modified so you can see a little closer. Notice all these little red dots and notice the little kind of the red vein that's going through the thread of ISIS. What I want you to notice is how it's being bordered. If you look on the map here, you'll notice that there is a distinct trail that goes right in line as you watch this with what river? Euphrates. Now, that's not a coincidence. That is very significant. Now, what's happening here, and, uh, you know, there are some physical explanations. They say, for example, there's the Ataturk Dam, which is one of the world's largest dams that can literally stop the flow of the Euphrates River. It's been built now for probably somewhere around 8 to 10 years now. But this is not what's happening here. This is not a physical event. This is brought about by a supernatural means when this river dries up. But why this is so interesting, when you look at it on a larger scale of the map, and of course you can see where we're talking about with Israel here, if the Euphrates River, as you see here, dries up, this allows this whole region, these areas that we're seeing right here, and all this to come toward this very vital spot of Israel. This is where it's all heading to. Now, let me just tell you something. Right now, ISIS is within an hour's drive of Baghdad, 
which is obviously their capital, which is just south of the ancient city of Babylon. Now, why is that important? Well, first of all, you got to understand something. This is where it all started. And this is where it's all going to end. Do you think, ladies and gentlemen, that it's just a coincidence that this, just within the last handful of weeks, has become the focus of a movement that is sending fear throughout the region of that world? I mean, the slaughter of Christians, which we'll get on in just a little bit, is unmistakably the worst probably in history. And it's happening right now, right now in our world. Now, this is all heading someplace, and you've got to understand something. First of all, when ISIS first started to make their move, many of you remember when they went to the, the area that we all know as Nineveh. Matter of fact, in Mosul, they ended up going to, of all places, now figure this out on a spiritual level. Don't just think physical. Why in the world would they want to kill, or I'm sorry, why would they want to destroy the tomb of Jonah the prophet? Of all the, I mean, there's tons of things they could have done, but why did they put so much effort to stomp out the messenger that brought repentance to this region? There's a reason behind this, folks, but this particular region is called Assyria. Assyria just so happens to be the region where the Bible clearly tells us in unmistakable terms the Antichrist is coming from. For those of you that are convinced that uh, Mr. Obama is the Antichrist, I hate to drop the bad news. He's not the Antichrist, okay? Now, he might be a close cousin, but I mean, you know. <clears throat> but don't, no, he's not the Antichrist. He won't come from the White House. He's not Ronald Wilson Reagan, who has six letters in each of his names, 666. And you can go off and just get crazy as you go on. I kind of figured out that Michael Jordan was the Antichrist because he was six foot six. His number was two, three. Two times three is six. So there's the 666. You know, and the fact is, his name was Michael, which happens to be an archangel. His last name is Jordan. That's happened to be where Jesus was baptized. And, you know, he, he wore on his, his shirt a, 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 a beast with two horns and scarlet color. That's got to be the Antichrist. You know, folks, that's just nutty. We just get off on all the stuff. All you got to do is stay in the Word. You're going to find out it ain't any of that stuff. But the reason that's being talked about just so happens emphatically of all the titles you can come up with the Antichrist. You can call him the Antichrist, you can call him the man of sin, you can call him the wicked one, you can call him the son of perdition, you can call him the little horn, you can call him the, the king of fierce countenance, you can get all those titles, but he's called more the king of Assyria and the king of Babylon than any other title. Do you think it is a coincidence that this is where the first world dictator came out of? Nimrod who came from this whole association of Babylon and Isis and the mother goddess and all that stuff, it's going right back to that. Here he is, the scripture said that he was a mighty warrior against the Lord. And he tried to do something that he failed, and every other person that's tried is going to fail. 
even the Antichrist, to try to bring about a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world system. Now, <clears throat> with this in mind, <clears throat> I want to say that you've got to remember this as we get into this part of the message. If you know your Bible, you know that this region is so biblically important, there's probably nothing else that you need to know about prophecy that you can't figure out from what's already happened in this region. When you see what has, has been attempted, you will see what will be attempted again. What has been is going to be what will be. And there's something that's going on in a realm that's supernatural. Now, everyone look at this screen for a second. <clears throat> the name Isis literally means, now I know, I know we're talking about two different things here. We're talking about some troops, but we're also talking about a spiritual influence behind it. Okay, are you all, are you all sticking with me here? Oddly enough, the name Isis literally means throne. Now, in Chicago, <clears throat> at one of the largest Catholic churches, is an amazing statue that shows Mary, who is called, of all things, the Queen of Heaven. Hello. Here she is, sitting, of all places, on top of the replica of the Ark of the Covenant. And she is sitting there as the mother goddess, the mother of God, etc., etc., the titles that's given to her, surrounded by the cherubim with their extended wings in the place that's reserved only for God. Okay? This is the epitome of what would be considered blasphemy. And yet what you're seeing here is a widely accepted belief system and what you see her holding on and sitting inside of all things is, of all things, a horned crescent moon. Now, why this is interesting, <clears throat> and I'll show you in a second where this is all going to, but let me just tell you, in the book of Revelation, we're talking prophecy tonight, so it's okay to quote from Revelation a lot. When you read those seven letters that were written to, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, you get to this particular church in an area called Pergamum. And it says, To the church of Pergamus write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Now that's going to be very important <clears throat> because in that region they use the sword to behead people. And Jesus says, I got a sword. And it's got two sharp edges. But he says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest. Now what's the statement here? This is Jesus talking. Even where Satan's seat is. And if you get your <coughs> strongs out, look up the word seat. It literally means throne. Think of a seat, a chair, a throne. He says, you are living in a region where Satan's throne. He has felt so comfortable in the practices of Pergamon and the practices of the people of Pergamos that he now has a throne in your city. But then notice what it says. And thou holdest fast my name, thou hast not denied my faith, even in the days wherein Antipas was my faithful, what? what does it say there? Martyr. 
who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Now think, folks, and if you can't see the parallels, if you can't see the picture developing, just stick with me. You are going to see this is something that just so happens to be a flow of a natural event that's being repeated right now. We are seeing more martyrs coming out of this system of ISIS than any time in history. Matter of fact, more are being killed now than has ever been recorded in church history. Martyrs for their faith. Antipas, by the way, if you look up his name, they don't know for sure if that was literally his name or not, but his name, oddly enough, means against everything. I like those kind of Christians. I like those kind of Christians that just bug the world. I mean, you're against everything. Well, I guess I am, you know. I'm there. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through here. You know, and you, whatever you produce, I'm just, I don't have a, I'm not th thrilled by it. But anyway, Antipas was most likely killed by putting him in a brass bull and literally fried alive inside of it. Now, this is an amazing thing because what you see here is an association with the killing of believers and God's people associated with a throne which just so happens to be the name of ISIS, which just so happens to be an interesting movement that just shows up in the last couple of months. As a result of this, folks, <coughs> something interesting. The Germans went to Pergamos, and they literally took apart the entire throne that was referred to here by Jesus even, this, this huge throne and pieced it back together in Berlin, Germany. The timing of it was extraordinary. And here again, there's something behind this because it came just as the man Hitler shows up. And from that, he was able to build his system to try to bring about a one-world government, and to do so, he started slaughtering Jews. Matter of fact, folks, what you're seeing here is just not a coincidence, but there's a spirit behind this. Eyewitnesses back in the 30s said there was something supernatural on Hitler. When he would stand and begin to speak, there was what you and I would call in the church world an anointing that came on him, and it would make him be a man that he wasn't. And the results of the response of the people was extraordinary. And you can believe it, people who were alive back then were probably convinced he was the Antichrist. And in reality, he probably was one of the devil's front men to fit the bill if this was the time. Of course, the devil doesn't know when this is all going to get wrapped up, so he's got to have somebody on the back burner all the time. But I find this quite interesting, though, because the throne, that the authority system, and you've seen it here in Ephesians, shows up even in the realm of spiritual, wicked spirits. There's an authority system. Now let's go back to Babylon, where all this is going on right now and where all of it got started. By the way, is everybody still with me tonight? Okay. What we see here, folks, is God's intervention. 
the Bible says that God told them after the flood to go and replenish the earth. They said, no, we're not going to do it your way. We're going to do it our way. We're going to set up a one world government. We're going to do it our way. And they set up their system. Matter of fact, God even commented, and God doesn't exaggerate. God said that what these people are doing, if they're not restrained, nothing will be impossible to them that they can do. So you know what God did? A very interesting thing. He threw a monkey wrench in the whole unit and messed everything up. And to this very day, when the United Nations is still trying its best to unite the nations, they got to hold those little things up to their ear to be able to work through the problem of Babel. That's where we get the name Babylon. What ends up happening there, God sends a confusion, but as a result of this, this goddess worship, this, this teaching of Babylon that started off with the ideal that, um, that she miraculously conceived a child after Nimrod died, that she was struck by a sunbeam and she had a miraculous baby, basically born without human development. This was a something that was a miracle. And since it was the son that did this, this was considered the son God. This was considered God's child. And so you see, as she was typified throughout all the regions when this religion started going through all the world, once Babylon was struck with this amazing curse that God put on them, when they traveled throughout the regions of the world, they brought with them this mother goddess worship. And I want you to look at the screen here for a second and just notice how each one of these regions developed these god, goddess and uh, child concept. <clears throat> now, we touched on this a little bit when we were here last time. But I want you to look at all this because there's no denying that this has happened all over the entire globe. Wherever you go in the world, you see this exact same massive religious belief system. And I truly believe that it is one of Satan's attempts to try to undermine the truth of the virgin birth of Christ in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we get the very first prophecy. And that prophecy is by God himself predicting and telling that there will come a miraculous child through the woman and it will destroy Satan's system. As a result, though, it will end up bruising his heel. And, of course, we know that that was fulfilled at the cross when Jesus was crucified. He destroyed the system of hell. And yet, here's an interesting thing. This particular belief system, and if you've ever talked to an atheist, they'll tell you that Christianity made all this stuff up from ancient religions. What they don't understand is just the opposite way. The fact of the matter is now, this ISIS, and I'll get through this in a minute, believe it or not, but this whole ISIS thing has an amazing amount of influence in this region and other parts of the world for a particular reason, and we'll show you this as it's developing here. And, of course, here's a couple other examples of Isis called the Rising Sun and, again, the Queen of Heaven. These are all parallels from um, 
uh, a, a book that's written about her. She is known as the Lunar Queen, the, the goddess of the moon. <coughs> now, here's what's interesting. The moon goddess became the very symbol of the religion of Islam. I'm sure most of you have seen their symbol. happens to be a crescent moon, and it's based on Allah, who, by the way, is the moon god. And this is the symbol that identifies their religion all over the world. When they were digging up around the region of Mecca, they found this idol called Allah. Allah is the moon god. Matter of fact, you can see on the chest there that crescent moon. Now, here's the thing that's so interesting, folks. When you look at the, the, the most sacred object to um, um, a Muslim, it's there in Mecca. This is what they bow to when they pray five times a day. And in that uh, side of that little building, and in, incidentally, on the inside, all it has is three pillars. That's all it has inside. It's just a, just a marble uh, area inside with these three pillars with some little things hanging from them. But I want you to notice, and I'll give an arrow there, that little uh, thing on the edge of the building. That is what's considered a miraculous black stone. Now think about what you've already read so far, or heard so far, and consider this. Much like the story of, the, of Venus, or Aphrodite, or Ishtar, all the various derivatives of the, of the fertility goddess, is this belief that the black stone fell from heaven. Now if you remember the ideal is it fell from heaven, um, and it, you can read in the book of Acts, one time that Paul, I think it was Paul and Silas, it might have been Paul and Barnabas, they were preaching. And while they were preaching, they started to worship these guys. They literally said that they were gods because they were performing miracles, which was a benefit that came from Isis, the mother, the queen of heaven. And so what they started doing they came, and the scripture says that they, they, were, they were ready to sacrifice a cow. They put garlands around their neck, and they started worshiping. And they thought that, that Paul uh, was Mercury, the, and, uh, and the other was Jupiter. And, of course, these are gods and goddesses and has something to do with the planetary alignment and all that, all that pagan stuff that's just been rich throughout all these pagan religions based on Babylonianism, by the way. But here is what's interesting. The Kaaba is to be walked around seven times. And in your time, you have to do this at least one time in your life as a Muslim. That is required of you. And the ideal is that you can get close enough to that black stone that you can kiss it. Now what's interesting about this, they believe that that black stone, which by the way is most scientists claim that it's a, a, me, uh, a meteor, that uh, it has supernatural powers. They believe that it has the power to cleanse worshipers of their sins by absorbing the sins into itself, which explains why it's black, because they, they said that, you know, long, long time ago, back during the time of Adam and Eve, it was a dazzling white, 
but it turned black as it absorbed all the sins of the world onto itself. Now, is anybody hearing a parallel here? Okay. Now, what's interesting about this is that this shows up long time before Islam, before Muhammad, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before that, but it was always associated, again, with this sex goddess. And oddly enough, and it was done very deliberately, it resembles the vagina of the goddess. This is why they designed it in such a way. The, the ideal, of course, is that this is a part of the moon goddess worship. Now, if you look at this, and this is what it looks like on the inside, and you can see that the, uh, the cornerstone there, that's exactly what it's called. It's, it's facing the east. And this is where... When you, if you've seen them happen, when they do this, they all face this particular building and facing to this particular rock. And what they call this, the Muslims, is very important because they say that it is their cornerstone. Now, this is very interesting because they believe that it's their mark, distinct mark of being true followers of Abraham. They say that the Jews rejected this and, and uh, said it was idolatry and that they shouldn't be part of it. And they say that Abraham was the first one to have it and that he used it as the cornerstone to build this building. Well, I find that kind of interesting because Jesus, 600 years before Muhammad ever showed up, said about that passage, he says, and he beheld them, it says, and he said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. You know what the problem is here? Jesus said he is that stone. He's that, right? It's not some meteor that fell from heaven that they worship in to look like a... a a, a sex portion of a, a female body, and yet, folks, this is just how twisted this religion gets. Now, watch this because this is an interesting documentary from um, uh, about this. Go ahead and turn up the volume a little bit. Look at these thousands of Muslims. Now, again, they have to walk around this seven times. And this is how they get their sins removed. Now, what's their devotion and their dedication? What you're seeing here, folks, is um, an example of what religion does to mankind. It puts man into an obligation. Islam, like every other religion, teaches that you must do something to be accepted to God, whereas Christianity says God did something to make you right. Amen?
Now, again, this is all surrounded around that little tiny black stone. It's all about that. This is what it's all about. Now, what are, what, what are we saying here? We're saying, folks, that what we are experiencing as the threat to many civilizations right now is a spiritual, demonic, demon-inspired religious system that goes all the way back to Babylon. And this is where it's all heading back to as time goes on. I thought that was interesting to be able to see that. Well, guess what happens this year? We're talking about just events that have happened this year, just in the last, you know, eight months. Well, for the first time in history of the Catholic Church, the, the Quran was read and prayers were given. Some of the, the singing you just heard is a part of those prayers. And it was to help establish what the Pope is intending to be the peace that the world so desperately wants to see. Now, when we were here during the whole thing that was going on with the, the Pope resigning, the new Pope put in, in place, we spent a lot of time talking about the influence of this concept of the Catholic Church bringing about a one-world religion. Now, let me just tell you something that you just need to be aware of. I think most young people are up on this, maybe so, more so than some adults, of a concept of a, a new world order that's based on some mythical and occultic symbolization showing up in some of the most popular music. Matter of fact, rap music is probably the most popular form of presenting this concept of Luciferian doctrines of bringing about a one-world government. It was just announced on the news today. Matter of fact, I was listening to it as, um, as, as Nick was driving us over here, um, that they are just about certain that the guy who killed Foley uh, was uh, a rapper from the UK. And it will be interesting to see where that goes because of the influence of that. We'll talk about some music stuff here in, in just a second. But in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, we read a bizarre event. Matter of fact, of all the things that are written in the book of Revelation, this is the only thing that the Apostle John is blown away by. He sees so many incredible things, but in chapter 17, when he sees this, the scripture says that he was astonished. He was, it, he could not believe what he was seeing. Because what he was seeing was a symbol of a woman who was a type, a picture of the church, a virgin church, faithful to Christ. But what he sees is a prostitute. She is a, she's called a whore, and of all things, she is riding on the back of the beast, the Antichrist system. This blows him away. He can't figure it out. I mean, you read it, you read through the entire book of Revelation, you'll never see a response like this. And even the angel says, why does this shock you so? 
John, I'll explain to you what this is. And he begins to describe it. But what is happening in verse 5 is there's a dead giveaway about her. In the Old Testament, it talks about uh, how that sometimes people sin like the prostitutes who advertise on their forehead. And in this case, exactly what it says in Revelation 17, that this woman who rides this beast, who is colored with purple and scarlet and is decked with gold and pearls and costly array, and all these things are so symbolic, it's amazing. But on her forehead is written, notice this, mystery, Babylon the Great. This is not a... A, a physical one, which, by the way, in, in 18, we'll find a physical Babylon, but this is a mystery Babylon. This is a spiritual Babylon. This is not physical. This is mystical. And it says, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And what happens with this is she she's a vampire, basically. She drinks the blood of martyrs, and she's drunken with the blood of martyrs, which symbolizes an effect that she has on the world when it comes to killing people who follow Jesus. Now, why this is so important, though, is because Jesus warned about this movement. He said many things, and obviously the Lord Jesus is the one that's revealing all this to John, in the book of Revelation, but in his Gospel of John, Jesus is quoted saying this, and everyone look at this. He says, but I know you. He's talking to the religious leaders of the Jewish people. He says, I know you, that you do have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name. Now watch this. Everyone look at this. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. Now watch what it says. If another come in his own name, very important, him you will receive. Now, Jesus prophetically is talking about the people of that re region and that area and applied to anybody else that would want to be so. They have rejected Jesus, but they're going to accept one who comes in his own name. And what is astonishing about this, and I remember many years ago, my son Josiah, was, as he was doing his homeschooling, he said, hey, Dad, did you know that the name Mohammed is the most used name in the entire world? And, of course, what I like to do is check up on that kind of stuff. And sure enough, the most used name in the entire world is the name Mohammed. Nobody else is called any other name more than the word Muhammad. And you know what the word Muhammad literally means? It means praiseworthy. Now, why would anybody give a name that would be a name that he would come in his own name and Jesus said, you'll accept him? A praiseworthy name. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, I am convinced with all of my heart that what we're seeing here is the, 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 the development of what started all the way back in Babylon that's going to show itself in the future with the Antichrist when the Scripture says they will worship him 
And if they don't, if you, and by the way, anytime you read in the book of Revelation after chapter 13 and verse 18, where it talks about the mark of the beast, notice every single time from that point on, anybody who takes the mark of the beast has to worship the beast. Nobody accidentally gets the mark of the beast. Don't think that somebody's going to put a tattoo on you or just because you went to McDonald's and the, the food you bought came up to $6.66, you've taken the mark of the beast. Okay, no, that's not what that's talking about. What happens is the scripture says, whosoever will worship him, taking his mark, they'll be cast alive into the lake of fire. There is something associated with that system that incorporates worship. And we shared with you, I think it was the time ago or maybe the time before that, the association with that number with even, even being used today in the Muslim realm. Now, Many of you will remember back a couple years ago when Madonna did the Super Bowl. She comes out. This is viewed by 114 million people. She came out, performed, of all things, as ISIS. And, 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 the, and, of course, we're talking about music influence here. And when you read in Ezekiel 28 where it talks about his, he was filled with violence, he was filled with Hamas, that creature, that being, Lucifer, Satan, in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, is called a musical genius. His power in heaven was associated with his ability to use music that was built into him by God to worship and to lead worship before the Lord. Well, what's interesting, though, at the end of Madonna's performance as Isis, she disappears, literally disappears on stage to a cheering audience, and all of a sudden lights develop, and of course the, the blimp as it's flying over top of the Super Bowl, it says world peace. <clears throat> now, what is going on here? It seems as if from every angle something is being put in place. From every aspect, from every direction, something is, it's like all the pieces are coming together. Are you noticing what I'm talking about? By the way, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and warned that when they would talk about peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. And such is the case with what ISIS is being known for right now. Literally, folks, Tens of thousands every single month are being slaughtered because of being Christians. I'm sure some of you have seen the little, the little uh, logo that they put on houses of Christians. It looks kind of like a smile face with only one eye on it. It's actually the letter N that stands for Nazarene. And it's placed, it's painted on their door. They're given a warning, either you come up with tax money to pay us, which obviously they it's so far what they can afford, or you flee, or you will die. And obviously many of them um, have been killed and slaughtered. And, and when you watch this kind of stuff, you just, you got to think, is this what the Bible spoke about when it speaks about the spirit of antichrist that would come and that it would do these type of things but you know folks we've seen this before the spirit 
that is the hatred toward the Jews and the killing of the Jews, now listen, this is important, is the exact same spirit that is behind the hatred and the killing of Christians. I'm telling you, there is something behind this. There's something bizarre. There's something out of whack here in this world system. Did you all catch the news last week when a high school senior is suspended because she says, bless you, to a kid that sneezed in class? There is a spirit of antichrist that has become dominant in the world, and it's already clear from the top governmental position of our nation all the way down, there is no room for Christianity more and more in our society. Are you all listening to me? Matter of fact, back in 1919, there was a documentary which showed eyewitnesses during the Islamic genocide of the Armenians. And here they showed them crucifying Christian girls. Now, folks, this is exactly what's happening right now. As we're speaking right now, it's going on right now. ISIS made its way through the northern sections of Syria. And what they did, and I have uh, my kidney doctor is uh, from Damascus, Syria. And uh, we've developed a real close relationship. And every time I go to see him, we end up spending more time talking about Syria than we do about my kidneys, you know. And um, it's interesting because I was just telling him, man, what about what just happened? He says, I can't believe it. Of course, these are people he knew, people that he'd been raised up with. And, uh, you know, you know, there are some godly Christian Syrians. I mean, Syria, you know that Syria is is one of the most biblical places in the New Testament days. In the book of Acts, you know where the headquarters for the church was? It wasn't in Jerusalem. It was in Antioch, Syria. That's where Christians were first called Christians, in Antioch. As a matter of fact, the, the Bibles that we have, the New Testament we have, the, the writings that we have were preserved as the Antioch, uh, uh, line of scriptures when you look at that it's amazing and, and matter of fact many of these early days of, of pentecost for example when christians or when the jews were coming they heard the gospel preached by Pre peter they got saved and the scripture says that they ended up going to the regions and with them the first time that the church met with all the apostles was in syria and i got news for you, folks. The devil hates that. And this is why this region is so hit hard. But <clears throat> keep in mind, folks, there's something else going on. <clears throat> there's a spirit behind this that is absolutely devastating. They're raping the women. They're crucifying the men. And they're beheading the children. And all of this is done in the name of peace. Remember what he, what he said? What they, they would bring peace, and here's this rider on the white horse who, who's declaring peace, and yet as a result, a major war breaks out. But folks, listen. Think about the character it would take in a human being to do such a thing to a child. 
a defenseless child, or to a woman, or to children. And these are considered big, bulky men. This is not man. This is a spirit, folks. Men don't act in those kind of ways. And yet, you know what? If, in fact, they defeat the Jews, do you think that's where they're going to stop? Well, they've already promised that they're coming to America to finish off the work of Allah. And notice in the upper left-hand corner, the young boy, and they're trained this way since the time they could actually stand up and hold a gun. They're trained to lay down their lives because they don't fear death. They, they love death more than the Jews love life. I swear to God we will divide America in two. Now listen to me, friend. The latest from ISIS is when we get the work finished, we're heading your way because we have already have people to get the work done. Now, let me just tell you, I, um, I, was un I absolutely ran out of time, but you can find this on the Internet. It's, it just happened last week. In Chicago, a group from ISIS came to one of the major uh, uh, buildings, the political buildings, and started taking pictures, and they hold up little cards and take pictures, and on that it says, we are already in your city, and we're already in your streets, and we will destroy your city. Now, folks, it's no coincidence that right now Chicago is under a spiritual attack from hell. There is a spirit of darkness in that area, that region. I, was, I, I used to live there for years. I can tell you, as a matter of fact, I was just in Chicago a month ago. Folks, there is something there that is bizarre. There is a, there's, a, there's a headquarter of hell. But you understand this, ladies and gentlemen. This is coming from an influence that is hating us, number one, because we love the Jews. Now, it's interesting, this morning when I got up, I like to listen to the Bible on CD, and I was listening to uh, Genesis, you know, starting there around chapter 12, and it was talking about things that was going on with um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and, you know, some, some bizarre things happening. But in the midst of all that, when there was an encounter with one of the kings that was going to do something very wicked, God showed him and says, don't you dare touch him. Talk about the Jew. And matter of fact, when God blessed him, he says, I will bless those that bless you, and I'll curse those that curse you. You know what that was? That was a repeat from Genesis 12 when God said that to Abraham. God had a certain promise that he had made to the Jewish people, and yet here we are, folks, as a nation that have historically stood with Israel, but that's all changing. And as a result, I truly believe that we're going to see great harm done to us as we continue. And again, we've done, dealt with this in many messages as we've been here in the past, that we are seeing something that is truly demonic. This is more than just human nature. There's something behind all this. Matter of fact, uh, the uh, Republican senator from Oklahoma, he's the ranking Republican on the Armed Service Committee, is warning that ISIS terrorists 
those who this week beheaded an American journalist, are trying to develop the capability of blowing up an entire American city. He said the U.S. now is in, quote, the most dangerous position we've ever been in. They're crazy out there, and they are rapidly developing a method of blowing up a major U.S. city. Now, watch this, folks. Now, I thought that was kind of an interesting little point because if you go to one of the Al-Qaeda websites, you will find one of the things that Muslims do. They believe that they are commissioned by Allah to warn what they're about to do. And they are warning America that they're going to destroy us. And um, if, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, now I want let me ask you a question. Let me put it this way. If... Hitler would have had access to a nuclear weapon. Do you think he would have used it? Okay. Then why would you not think that jihadists would not use it? I am telling you, we better wake up to this because as the third president of the United States says, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. You say, well, what, what are you talking about, John? Well, what Jefferson was talking about is that if America does not follow what God has given us and recognize, as he says, as you can see in the rotunda where his, his, the, the Jefferson Memorial is, that God gave us liberty, the, the God that gave us life gave us liberty. You can see it etched on marble right there in Washington, D.C. And that anyone who despises that will meet it with judgment. And when you think, for example, the former chairman, the Joint Chief of Staff, Richard Myers, he says, I am not an alarmist, but I did look at all this intelligence from violent extremists. God forbid if they get their hands on nuclear materials. They are ruthless, so we know they'll, they'd use them. They want to bring down the United States. Now, this is not some fear tactic of some prophecy preacher. This is the ch former chairman, the Joint Chief of Staff. Hello. I mean, here's the Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates. Every senior leader, when asked what keeps you awake at night, it's the thought of a terrorist ending up with a weapon of mass destruction, especially nuclear. Now, you listen to me, folks. These people are not afraid to die. That's how they, that's the only way they're promised to make it to paradise, is if they die as a jihadist, if they die to 
further the cause of Allah. And it means blow yourself up or somehow die as a point to kill Jews and those Sunday keepers, those cross bearers. Matter of fact, I just saw a video this morning. Uh, <clears throat> I have a couple places I go to, and they're very, very graphic stuff. And I think some of you um, probably need to see this stuff. It's not the most delightful thing to watch, but I think every human being in America needs to see this thing to understand what you and I are possibly facing, what every believer is facing in the regions that we're talking about tonight. And watching them being gunned down, being shot in the back of the head, being, I mean, killed uh, gangster style. I mean, all the day. And they, what they found is one soldier in his billfold, he had a cross in his billfold. They pulled it out, questioned him about it. And they asked him if he wanted to uh, submit to Allah. He said, absolutely not. And they shot him right in the head. And this just happened. And, and of course, they want to they record all this and show it to everybody to help further the ideal of terrorism. <clears throat> now listen, and I'm going to close with this. I want to wrap it up with a very important thing. And if you haven't listened to anything else I said, I want you to listen to this. And, and literally, this is the end of my message. In Isaiah, we read these amazing words from this prophet. He said, his watchman, and let me just stop for a second. A watchman is somebody that would stand and keep watch at nighttime especially. And what their job was to do is to stand up and keep an eye all around to see if there was an approaching enemy. And if they did see, they would blow a trumpet and wake people up to get them ready. And God has called you and I, all of us, to be watchmen. And he says, the watchmen are blind. I mean, the last thing you need is a blind watchman, right? And the whole point of being a watchman is being able to see. It says the watchmen are blind. Watch this. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs and cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Now, this is Isaiah's appeal to, guess what, folks? A people who were getting ready to be attacked, of all people, listen, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. The exact same group that we're talking about tonight. Isaiah <coughs> writes this. The Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. See, you, you've rejected it for so long, Isaiah said. You've denied them the, to hear their voice. You mocked them. You ridiculed them. You said they were preachers of doom, and you can't stand it anymore. You want to hear something? Isaiah was approached one time. He said, J Isaiah, just preach the soft things. Don't give us any more hard news. And God says, all right. Therefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips, they do honor me, but have removed their heart from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. Ladies and gentlemen, that could be spoken from the majority of our churches in the United States of America and apply right now. 
Here's what I want to do tonight as I wrap this up. I want to tell you that I believe that what we are facing is a desperate wake-up call. And if we don't shake ourselves awake, folks, I don't see how we can stand much longer. You know, things have happened so quickly in the last few weeks. I mean, listen, you, we don't know what will be, it will be like one year from now. If you, if you and I could get a glimpse of the possibility, I'm sure from what our leaders are saying, this is not very delightful. This is keeping us up at night. Now, if you haven't listened to anything else I've said, I want you to listen to these next few things. I, I just want to read this to you. I was writing this this, this I- afternoon, and I just want to read this to you so I can just get it out of my heart. But I believe that while all of this has happened, that as we said a moment, showed a moment ago, that a spirit of slumber has fallen on the church. Literally, as prophecy is coming to pass before our very eyes, the church as a whole appears to be unconcerned and unmoved. We seem to be careless and indifferent about the events that unmistakably are pointing us to the end of time. But it is business as usual for most. A don't-really-care attitude has filled our churches and our pulpits so that we can't even feel moved to prayer. It doesn't seem as if we even slightly are troubled about the serious need of the hour. America is not simply in decline, ladies and gentlemen. We are actually headed for a total collapse unless we make some major changes soon. And while it may be true that we need you know, strong, honorable political leaders with deep convictions who will return us <coughs> to the biblical principles that our founders wove into the Constitution, that is not the answer. Even if we elect the right people who are serious about making major reforms in Washington, that alone will not be able to save our country. We need so much more than a political reform, we need a spiritual reform. We need the Lord to bless America with a miracle revival to rescue us from our runaway path to self-destruction. Amen? We need the Lord to have mercy on us and grant us a revival before it's too late. We need a series of God-sent revivals to break out in every region across our nation to wake up the sleeping church. We need God to strengthen us so that we can boldly preach the gospel, make disciples, and care for the poor and needy in the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to return to biblical holiness and purity of heart, along with a great abhorrence for sin and compromise in our lives. We need a fresh wave of the fear of God to wash out the sin, the spiritual pride, and the haughty attitudes that dominate so many believers. We need a new awareness of our responsibility to reach the lost for Christ. We need a fresh new baptism of the Holy Spirit to empower us to be like the early church. We need 
a new appreciation for conviction and powerful straight preaching that hits our sins. We need a spirit of humility that will come against our prideful hearts and unbroken wills. We need to see both young and old seeking God in our altars with weeping again like many of us can remember. We need a love for the Word of God that will cause us to look to it for our direction and our comfort instead of our man-made psychology. We must have a return of our conscience that, we can, that will bother us when we do wrong. We need to see tears of joy again on our faces because of loved ones that are getting saved. We need to see the manifestation of the power of God to heal the sick and cast out devils. We need to walk in the favor of God to such a degree that miracles and undeniable miracles, folks, are once again happening among His people. America saw God do this in the early 1700s with the first great awakening when our nation, believe it or not, was filled with unsaved, unconcerned, unchurched, and uh, uninterested millions. And then again, America saw the Lord send a great second great awakening in the early 1800s in the midst of a hard-hearted generation of scoffers and mockers who had no time for, the, for God in the Bible. And by the way, folks, read history then. Sin was rampant. Drunkenness was rampant. Adultery, even the occult. I mean, it was rampant throughout the United States. And what we're seeing right now is nothing new. God, God is not resisted to sin revival is as wicked as our nation is. Matter of fact, it's dry ground that could burn the hottest. Amen? Now's the time to plead with the Lord for a third great awakening. Our nation is on the very brink of collapse, and we still have churches and we still have preachers Denying that it could even happen. And by the way, folks, this bothers me so much. We are losing youth faster than any time in church history. It bothers me to look out through this, even this church, and see just a handful of teenagers. That's very serious. And the spiritual condition of the average church, and that's all I do. I go from church to church all over the country. And folks, the average church is is uncertain at best. I mean, there is no real evidence in my way of thinking that we're heading toward revival. You know, when we have convinced ourselves, as long as we can... still sing worship songs and preach and have church services, then everything will be fine. But the opposite's true. The fact that our lukewarmness and our apathy that is present even in right now, it's obvious that we haven't seen revival in a long time. Are you listening to me tonight? And I want to say this with Fear and trembling, ladies and gentlemen, I truly believe that we have a little window of opportunity before this whole thing falls beyond repair. And I truly believe with all my heart that God 
is calling us all as believers, every single one of us, to take this thing seriously. We're comfortable right now because we don't worry very much about things like losing our homes, losing our children, losing our jobs, and losing our lives because we love Jesus. I find it so amazing that some of us can't even muster up the concern for brothers and sisters that are not that far from us that are facing the most deadliest trials of their life. And while you and I, the biggest thing we struggle is which car to drive, you know. God help us, amen. I'm just wondering what we've talked about tonight, if, if maybe we could turn this meeting into a, a prayer meeting. And after what we've shared and talked about, I think prophetically, and I don't know if you got the, the gist of what I was saying tonight, but I think that there's a warfare that is beyond guns and bombs. I think we're dealing with something, folks, that's going to have to be won on a spiritual level. And when you read the Old Testament, you'll see examples after examples where Israel were being rebuked because they leaned on how many horses they had and how many weapons they had. Matter of fact, one of the worst curses that came upon David is when he counted his, his men, his army, thinking that somehow, exactly, thinking somehow that he had some bragging rights. Now, folks, I got news for you. I think, I think we are walking in the steps of these very same people. And I think if you look at the scriptures, you'll find that when Israel was at its biggest was when it was most dependent on God. And if you and I don't take this seriously, then you have to ask yourself, why did God tell Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and all these other prophets, he told them to go into the temple? And to cry aloud in the temple where they were raising their hands and praising Jehovah and tell them to turn from their sins or that judgment would fall upon their nation. Jeremiah had the, the responsibility to say that as you are in your temple, they will come and spear you. They will come and they will tie you up. They will rape your girls right in front of your face. And that will be the last thing you, you'll see because they're going to gouge your eyes out. Imagine being the prophet Jeremiah and having to say that. And those people looked at you and say, you're an idiot. The prophets are saying peace and prosperity. They're saying everything's okay. We're the head, not the tail. We're blessed going in and we're blessed going out. What are you talking about, judgment? God's not going to judge us. God's not a judging God. God's a loving God. They ain't going to happen to us. 
And you know what they did to Jeremiah? They, they condemned him because he was unpatriotic. They threw him in a ditch or in, in, a, in, a, in a pit. They beat these men. Matter of fact, Jesus says, you know what? They, you killed the prophets. You shed their blood. And yet they still cry to you today. Folks, I'm telling you, we got to take this to our heart. Now, I'm just going to be real up front and then I'll close. If you're sitting here and you are a, a nominal believer, you need to get in gear, buddy. Because this comfortable Christianity, this lukewarm, apathetic, complacent Christianity is not going to handle what you and I are about ready to face. And you better get a good foundational grip because the ride that's coming soon is going to be a ride that's going to throw many of you off the ride. Amen? Maybe it's time for you to take this thing to heart and ask yourself, when you see these people being beheaded and shot, why is it that they still will not deny Jesus? And ask, do I have that kind of Christianity? See, some of you can't even hardly give up your television, much less give up your life for Jesus. You can't, you can't stop compromising in your life much less lay your life down. I think it's high time we take this to heart. I'd like for every head to be bowed for a moment.